All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast. It's a post-race edition for the All-Star Race, which, uh, man, let's face it, wasn't the best. kind of didn't really live up to the hype, but somebody that does live up to the hype is Lee Spencer from Motorsport.com, who is staying late as we look out over the track, which they're washing right now, late on a Saturday night. Lee, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm okay. You know, I don't know. I, you know, for some reason I buy into the hype every year. I'm like, oh, maybe this could be good. Maybe this will work. Yeah, all-star race. And then it seems like every year I leave with the same feeling, which is just, ah, that, that wasn't so great. I said on another show this morning that I really thought the Open was going to be where the fun and games were because think of the young talent that you had in there. Not only do you have Boyer, who really has something to prove this year, you had to you had Chase Elliott, you had Ryan Blaney, you had Daniel Suarez and Chase Elliott, and you know they all factored in, and so it was it was a blast to watch those guys. Um, you know they didn't get as far as we would have liked. I mean, you get that kind of young exuberance going in that last ten lap run, and it might have you know been something a little more exciting. I mean, I think that restart was one for the ages, and you know, Keselowski, for whatever reason, were they were down a set of tires, and um, I kind of missed the strategy on that one, and so he was just really a sitting duck, and Jimmy Johnson, I mean, I, I think he made the right move doing what he did, and assuming that um, Keselowski would hold up Kyle Busch but as you and I both know having watched Kyle in so many races whether it's cup truck or Xfinity um, he's the best he's the king of the restarts and if if there is a chance in hell that he's going to get to the front he's going to take it it, it was almost like take two on um, a restart we saw earlier where Landon Castle was out front on older tires and then Chase Elliott tried to move and didn't quite work. Kyle Busch was able to pull it off and execute it uh, without anybody getting, he almost wrecked himself, but he ended up um, making it through. Nobody else wrecked. And then Kyle just drove away. Like we've seen with so many other all-star races, it's like the restart is the exciting moment. Then one guy gets out 10 laps, no caution game over. I guess it was just sort of like disappointing in some ways because all the talk going into the race was, oh, how many people are going to take these tires? Who's going to use this? You know, and there was, remember when the, when they first came out with this ruler, people were like, well, isn't everybody going to take the tires? Because we thought they were going to be so good and so much faster. Like, why would you not take them? Well, as it turned out, nobody took them. And it's just sort of, sort of like, oh, oh man. It's just one of these unintended consequences where they come up with the format and they think it's going to play out a certain way, just like last year. And then it just doesn't work out that, like that. But they were right. The people that needed it early took them. And some of the people, uh, Suarez was one of the guys. I mean, he came from the back of the field all the way up to 11th. Um, you know, other guys had worked out. But it seemed like a large group of people who had not taken tires, taken the option tires, took them in that third stage. And so it was like... You really didn't, you had so many good cars with the option tires that no one really had an advantage. The only driver left with option tires for the final stage was Dale Earnhardt and he was out. And you talked about hype. There was as much hype about Dale Earnhardt Jr. going into his final all-star race as there was the option tire. And it broke my heart to see him so miserable in that car tonight because... We all want him to, you know, he's just the kind of guy you want him to do well. And Dale Earnhardt, whatever happens, he is the story. Um, 
but it just wasn't there for him tonight. I mean, he was never comfortable. He wasn't, um, you know, he said after qualifying yesterday that he had wished he had had more time to practice the pit road for the qualifying. Didn't get out there for that. And um, we have seen repeatedly this season that when Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes off the truck, the 88 is in all that. And something is missing from the time that they leave the shop to the time they get to the racetrack. And they lose so much time in the preparation of getting that car dialed in that he's starting at a deficit. If you don't get your car, if you don't roll off your truck with your car in the top 10, you're fighting it all weekend long. And that's been the case for him the last two years. Yeah, I mean, those are some really great points. He was just a complete non-factor running last second to last all night pretty much just like what in the world is going on they com- they were so far off uh it was just sort of sad to watch in some ways and and i don't think it's that he's i mean maybe he came back this year maybe not been as sharp as as he would have been if he had run all of last year right but he i don't think he's lost anything to the point at, at this point where it, it's him i feel like this is something with the cars if they were giving him the cars that he needed he in theory, could be running just like Jimmy, just like Chase Elliott, his his teammates who are doing well. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a Dale thing or that he's over the hill, that he's lost it. I, I think it's a car thing, and to see him struggle that much, I mean, it's got to be, you know, you you're in the same press conference as I am, and people ask him, oh, how much would it mean to win the All Star race? How much would it mean to win a Charlotte? And he's, you can almost see him saying. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great, but he's think- you almost see him thinking to himself, that's not happening anytime soon the way we're running, you know? I-, I think he is looking at it like that. I have never gotten the impression that Dale's a rider. You know, there are a lot of guys, I won't say a lot of guys, but there have been a fair number of guys I've watched over the years that if they don't have a top 10 car, they're just going to make laps and you know be part of the show it's not in his dna to do that you know he's got more self-respect for himself than go to go out there and ride for the level of fan base that he has he knows that they come to the sh- they know that he they he knows the fans come to the racetrack to see him be the show and he's tried to be that and um I just don't think the cars are there. I don't think the cars have been, you know, Casey Kane hasn't been able to overcome it. Uh, honestly, even though Jimmy won the championship last year, I really think that, that Chase Elliott's car is dialed in better than anybody else's, and that's because of the level of excellence that Jeff Gordon took that team to and left that car, and Chase inherited it, and he has done the most with that. So, um <laughs> I don't think Hendrick is at the, you know, even though they're the defending champions, I don't think they're at the top of their game right now. Um, I don't think that what we saw with Kyle Busch is the complete resurgence of JGR tonight um, because I think there's Kyle Busch and there's everybody else over there. Daniel Suarez has a lot of promise, but he's not a Carl Edwards. Um, he doesn't have Dave Rogers calling the shots anymore. There's not Dave Rogers working with Adam Stevens anymore. Um and, you know, let's face it, Matt Kenseth, you know, he's a solid guy. I mean, you can he's somebody that you can count on top 15 all the time. Just Mr. Consistency always has been there. Uh, but I just don't think he and Denny are pulling their weight over at that organization right now. And, and I think it shows. That's very interesting. Well, speaking of Joe Gibbs Racing and, and Kyle Busch, um, they end up, getting to victory lane after you you know mentioned that it hasn't been the best year for them 
and it is on a mile and a half track. Is there reason for optimism that they will get back to where they were last year? Do you feel like they still have a lot of work to do? Because I, you know, I feel like this, this kind of thing can mask some issues and, and it will get everybody to say, Oh, look, they won. But I just, the way that the format is and things like that, I don't know that it proves that much, you know? I think that it was a more of a clean air issue. If you were out in clean air, you were gone. And um, I would have liked to see what Larson could have done with another 10 laps. I think he would have been up his butt. I mean, I, you know, ser seriously, because the way he manhandled Jimmy, you know, and Jimmy doesn't have... <sighs> Jimmy, even though Jimmy's a seven-time champion, he doesn't have the right to look at Larson and say WTF because Kyle Larson's coming. Kyle Larson's a baller. I mean, and he and apparently that's what happened because Larson said after the race that Jimmy stuck his hand out the window like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to pass me for second kind of thing? I love that Larson is, is putting the challenge to him. It was like an it was like a hey kid get off my porch kind of moment and I mean it is definitely a turning of the tide and I I'll bring up this really interesting aspect that I someone brought up to me the other day and I'd kind of like to go into it. Um, the guys from MRN said Rusty Wallace said that Jimmy is losing the feel in his seat because he spends too much time on a bicycle. Now I know you you have that skeptical look on your face, but think about how important. That feel, you know, you hear about how drivers feel a car with their butts. I mean, and that's just kind of the center of their gravitation where they're driving a race car. Rusty Wallace has said that he thinks Jimmy's game is off because he rides bikes too much. So essentially that it, because it, when you sit on a bicycle seat for a long time, it sort of deadens the nerves in that part where you're sitting on it. So is that is that his argument? Like he's not getting, like literally physically can't feel as much as he needs to essentially well you're and you're also using different muscles and i mean it's great exercise and it is the biggest trend right now in that garage you hear i mean even dale jr has gotten on the bandwagon but um i just i have to wonder if there's might be something to that i mean i'm not saying that jimmy johnson has been off his game he run ran stage three um, you know, that looked like the old Jimmy Johnson at Charlotte Motor Speedway. But I think that there is a young group of kids coming and NASCAR has been pushing this for a long time and, and they're knocking on the door and they're ready to kick it down. Well, one thing in particular about the young kids and, and we talked about Larson is and you know, this definitely was a, a clean air race. Clean air was yet again the winner, right? Well, Larson gets in the media center afterwards, and he says, I, I, I like dirty air. It's fine. It's just another element, and you just have to figure out how to get around it. That mentality is so much different than we've heard from all these veterans over the years, which is basically, yeah, I mean, they basically say, oh, another clean air race, nothing you could do. I did all I could. Once I got there, nothing you could do. Larson's saying, hey, clean air? Well, I'll just try something else. I'm up for the challenge. Give it to me and, and let me see what I can do it because their cars are so strong right now. And I wonder how that's going to change the dynamic over at Ganassi. It seems every time that there is an organization that takes the Hendrick equipment and does more with it, it strains the relationship a little bit. And, you know, we haven't really seen that so much with Furniture Row, which I'm kind of surprised of because, you know, quite honestly, they've run circles around Joe Gibbs Racing, particularly, you know, particularly Turex. I mean, I think Eric Jones, um, it, it's kind of that old adage where they tell you you can't teach speed, but you can find a way to harness it and make it work for a driver. Once Eric Jones, once that light switch flips on, he's 
he's going to be another guy that you're going to have to contend with every week. And um, Joe Gibbs has a young guy in Daniel Suarez. And, and you know, Kyle Busch, he just thern, turned 32. He's not going anywhere. Um, but on the other side of that, I, I think that, you know, there's still this young group of kids that, you know, start, start finding somebody who really f- turns you on now because they're the future of this sport. Yeah. And there, there is a lot of, uh, excitement in the way they drive and, and their attitudes, I think. So it is refreshing. Yeah. I I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think there's some hope there and, you know, I've been skeptical about that at times, but I think there's, is definitely some hope. So, um, you know, let's, let's not, uh, totally get out of this without talking about Kyle Busch. He probably deserves some credit for (laughs) sweeping the weekend. And, um, you know, I, he is starting to, to, I, you know, people probably tune out of this part of the podcast. They're like, oh, you're going to talk about Kyle and say nice things. Forget this. But, you know, he, he did win another big race to put on his, his resume. He's now won a Brickyard. I think he's won a Southern 500. He's won a championship. Um, is this getting up to, you know, does this increase his legend status or, or does this not really do anything um, for his overall career? I think his biggest legacy, more than even winning the races, is what he does to teach all the development drivers that come through the program and we'll just call it Kyle Busch University because when you sign up to drive one of his trucks over there you are really investing in a driver's future Um, you see the kids that have come through there Suarez and Jones and uh, I tell you Christopher Bell is really going to be something in the future Ben Rhodes you know and Noah Gregson the other night were saying you know Ben particularly at Kansas um, Noah on Friday night they were both talking about Kyle and how they school he schooled them on the racetrack and it's like gee I wish I could be like you know instead of being like Mike we want you know over here you want to be like Kyle and he continues to take these kids that Toyota tracks down for their development program and really helps bring them up to speed and I think even more than all the wins that he has, and I forget what the total number is, and um, I'd like to see if, you know, what the other races that Richard Petty won before he ran Cup, just to, you know, make the totals a little more accurate. But um, I think that his, you know, legacy is actually going to be on the side of development, developing drivers even more so. Because who can you think of? I mean, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has found some winners in his days. Um, but what Kyle does in, in getting on the racetrack and racing with them and actually giving them on-the-job training, who does that? What did you think, Lee, of the monster experience for the Monster Energy All-Star Race? I mean, we were up here in the press box looking down. They had a double-decker stage with a DJ in the middle, and the bass music was shaking the press box. They had... Uh, motorcycle riders riding up and down with uh, off-road trucks. Where were the, yeah? Where were the ramps? Yeah. I wanted ramps. I really wanted ramps. I wanted during this is during driver intros, by the way, not just some pre-race show, but like as they were introducing the drivers. But motorcycles just going up and down the racetrack wasn't sexy to me. I wanted to see. Give me ramps. I mean, you remember the humpy days when we would have tanks and all kinds of crazy stuff out here. Give me ramps. Make it sexy. Go over the top. You know, we've been hearing that Monster was going to put a lot of energy into this. I want high energy. I just don't want energy. I want a show. And I think Monster can be that partner, but they almost need to be over the top to get their point across. 
this was the first weekend where I've actually seen monster cans in the media center. I know that's a small thing, but it just sort of have seemed sort of late developing. I thought, for instance, maybe the walls here would be black or green this weekend. They were yellow. They were sprint yellow still. Um, you know, things like that. That I, I feel like Monster still has a way to go, a ways to go to really put their stamp on it. Um, you know, even the, the, inter, the intros where you go to Monster Energy Supercross are, are you know, really mind-blowing. And, and I thought that would be more like this. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, uh, I'm curious to see what will happen ultimately with, with what they do with this sport. I did see a lot of kids tonight. I did see walk-up traffic. So I think those are two positives that I take away from the weekend as a whole. Uh, I'll be curious to see what transpires next week as far as how they fill this place for the Coca-Cola 600 because, quite honestly, um, the audience just hasn't been there for the fall race. So will they come back for the Coca-Cola 600? It's the biggest weekend in racing. I know you're off to Indy. I'm off to vacation. Um, but sun that Sunday is still my favorite day of the year because starting with Monaco and going to Indy and to Charlotte, it doesn't get any better than that. But, you know, as you and I sit here now, we can think about, what is it, maybe 15 months from now, 16 months from now, where we're looking at the road course out there and how different that this place will transpire. I mean, Monster's doing a great job. We're going to get this. We should get the schedule out this week. Um, we need to see more change. Um, I'd like to see a lot more change in the chase. We're going to get some of that this year, but this is out of the box thinking and something that they need to do because, um, you know, quite honestly, they need to start thinking about what what's going to attract that next generation. I mean, we saw some of them this, you know, out here today, but, um, you know, that's kind of what we're all leaning on Monster to do for us going forward. Well, Lee, um, thank you for joining us. And speaking of Monster, I had a interview with Tito Ortiz, who was brought out by Monster uh, and the Bellator fights that they were doing out in the fan zone. And when celebrities come out and they give me the rare opportunity to talk to them, I like to ask them three dumb questions. So I asked Tito Ortiz three dumb questions. And for those of you still listening, I'd like to play that for you right now. I'm here with Tito Ortiz for three dumb questions. Tito, the first question is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this ring, and I know that these fighters are going to have to deal with being outside. They're going to have to deal with the crowd tomorrow. When you're fighting, how much are you aware of the crowd? Like, do you, can you see the crowd? Do you hear the crowd? Or are you just so focused that it's it's all blocked out? Um, you know, I, I've been doing it for 20 years. You know, retiring on January 21st of this year, I look back on my career and. I kind of absorbed the crowd was, you know, I went out in the concords, I signed autographs before my fights, uh, I took pictures with all my fans, that way when they were screaming, um, I knew they had a reason to scream for it, and that was me, so when I fought, yeah, I, I, I hear the boos, I hear the dashiers, I hear the screams, I hear the ahs, the oohs, um, it's important, I mean, that's how you're recognized as a fighter, is the way you fight, they, when they leave and they go, wow, that Tito Ortiz guy, man, he put it all out there, that's when you know you fought well, when they stop talking about you when you got a problem, so... You know, I think the different degrees of guys have here tomorrow in the fight is the weather. This weather, it's excruciating hot. Um, but the excitement of fighting in front of all these fans, you know, these NASCAR fans are crazy. So you get a little mix of two thanks to Monster and Bellator putting uh, MMA fights with NASCAR. So my second dumb question is, does it hurt more to get kicked in the face really hard or punched in the face really hard, or is it just the same thing? 
Uh, they're both about the same. I, I've never really been kicked in the, in the head real hard. Um, I've always been able to block them. Uh, been punched in the face really, really hard, and it doesn't hurt. It's, it's, it's really a dull pain. You don't feel it. Come on, seriously? Yeah, you, you, you don't feel it until the next day. Your adrenaline's rushing so hard. You're, it just The adrenaline is what takes over on everything. You don't feel any punches at all. So I, I feel like if I if you punch me in the face right now, though, I, I think I would feel it pretty good, though. Well, it's kind of like as a kid we were growing up, you know, you fall off your bike and bump your head on the ground, and you get that spinning, dizzy feeling. That's the only feeling you have. It's not much of pain. Like I say, maybe three or four hours later when uh, the contusion swells up, then, it, then, then the pain happens. Very interesting. So it's just sort of you get you can get thrown off by the punch, but or like thrown for taken taken aback, but it's not really like the the adrenaline masks the instant pain basically. One hundred percent, yeah, adrenaline masks it all. Like I say, you get hit with a punch you never even seen. Some guys get knocked out unconscious. Thank God, my whole career never been knocked out unconscious. But uh, they wake up like, what happened? They didn't even feel it. It's just the next day, like I say, just the swelling, the inflammation in that area. Wow. Okay, my third dumb question is: You said you retired. Uh, you're not fighting nothing coming up, uh, but NASCAR drivers say they're retired all the time. Then they end up coming back. Uh, are you like retired, retired? Well, here's the difference. NASCAR's drivers don't have eight surgeries. They don't get uh, three neck surgeries, back surgery, three knee surgeries, and eye surgery. Um, I have a list of surgeries, and I have to get another one here uh, when I'm done with this this week. I get a, hopefully next week I'll get it done. I get a T1 C7 uh, disc replacement. So. Uh, I, I've done everything I need to do in MMA. I don't need to come back. 20 years, I'm thankful for it. Like I said, I've never been knocked out unconscious in any of my fights, uh, and I've always put on a show every single time. Well, I guess that that'll do it. That's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good reason to be retired. Yes, yes. No, and you know you, you gotta love it. I, I love fighting. I love doing it for the fans. But you know, I have a family. I have three boys, and as they grow up, right now, I have twin eight-year-olds and a 14-year-old that just moved with me after 10 years of living with his mom. He told his mom. You know, I want to live with dad now, so he lives with me full-time in Huntington Beach. He's getting into high school. They all three of them wrestle, so I'm able to see them grow up. You know, I missed out on his first five years of his of his life. Not the full years, but, you know, times where I had to be in camp training. So now I'm able to retire and do other businesses where it's almost like pretty much a 9-to-5 job, but I'm there when they wake up. I'm there when they go to sleep. That's really awesome. Well, thank you for humoring my three dumb questions. Yeah, no, humor dumb questions. I make them sound great, so it's good. Thank you. So there you have it. That was Tito Ortiz. And uh, not every day you get to talk to somebody who is a UFC Hall of Famer and um, was really one of the big MMA stars um, as it was on the rise and getting started in, in the pop culture world. So before uh, I end the podcast, I have a little bit of a personal update for everybody. And um, if you're a patron on my Patreon site, you already know this because I, I wanted to let everybody that's supporting me know first and, and all that stuff. But um, my wife, Sarah, got a job and we're moving to Portland, Oregon. So that's really, really exciting. I'm really happy for her that she's going to be able to um, help a lot of families and kids there at the Children's Hospital in downtown Portland. Uh, in the meantime, it's going to be a little bit of a scramble because we just got back from Albuquerque and uh on Tuesday, Tuesday night, I think last Tuesday night we got back. Yep. And we we're like, okay, well, we'll be in Charlotte for a while until Sarah gets a job. And she'd interviewed in Portland, but we didn't know if that was going to come through. And nobody else had really, you know, she had applied to almost 40 places, but none of the other hospitals had said, okay, yeah, we're interested. So it was sort of like Portland or bust. And Portland came through. So I'm going to the Indy 500 next week. And then I'm going to Dover because Dover 
uh, I don't know if you've noticed, um, is a sponsor for my 12 questions and um, the social spotlight on the website. So I had committed to going there. Well, Sarah starts in Portland in less than a month. So what we're going to do is Sarah and I are going to drive to Indianapolis um, coming up early this week. And then after the Indy 500, we're going to drive to Chicago to fly to Portland. We had to drive to Chicago because uh, with the last minute flights, you can't get any flights out after the Indy 500. It's way too expensive. So we're going to fly to Portland after the Indy 500 and we're going to apartment search for one day. Then we're going to fly back to Chicago. I'm going to drive Sarah back to Indianapolis, drop her off. She's going to go back to Charlotte and keep packing. We've already, our place is already a total mess as we are trying to scramble and pack here. I've lived in the same one bedroom apartment for 10 years. So I have a bunch of crap piled up. Then I'm going to drive from Indianapolis to Dover for that race and cover that race and then drive back from Dover to Charlotte. After which I think the move, the movers will likely come you know, a day or two later, cause we got to go. So it's going to be quite a scramble over this next, uh, couple weeks. This will force me to skip, um, Michigan and Pocono, I guess in the reverse order, Pocono and Michigan, but then I'll hopefully be at Sonoma because that's my new home track. Although it's like a nine hour drive or something like that. So, uh, I'll be at Sonoma and then I just booked a flight for Daytona and as you might imagine, dang it, the flights are more expensive now uh, from Portland. It's going to be, that's going to be my new reality. Hopefully I'll, you know, still be able to make uh, many, many races flying from Portland. Uh, it'll just be a little bit more expensive getting there. And that's, that's one thing that's been good about the first part of this year is being able to drive to so many races from Charlotte. And then when we were out in Albuquerque, being able to do the West Coast races, so uh, I got a little bit lucky on um, where I was at the beginning of the year. Portland's going to be more difficult, but um, overall, you know, I'm I'm just really excited about um, Sarah getting an opportunity, get out there, finally be in one place for a while, and know where we're going to be. So that's pretty exciting. Um, on our way back from Albuquerque, we got to stop at Samtech, and I had mentioned that my that's my post race podcast sponsor, and you know, I'd been doing these reads where they, they give you uh, okay, here's some information we want people to know about our, our school. And, you know, I was just reading it without ever having seen it and didn't really totally grasp all the things they do there. So I said to Sarah, let's, let's take a detour um, on our trip back from Albuquerque to Charlotte and let's stop in Houston where Samtech is. So we stopped there last Monday and um, man, it was really cool. We spent a couple hours there very, very eye-opening. I, I get it now. And uh, I feel like I could tell you a lot more about Samtech um, with a lot more knowledge. So over the next few uh, post-race podcasts, I'm going to be sharing little snippets of our visit there uh, and things I learned. But basically, it's not the average automotive school. You know, there's a lot of schools out there, technical schools, whatever, where, you know, they train people and then the people become, you know, mechanics or they go work at a dealership, whatever. This is more of like a high performance thing. So you're, you're trying to get into racing. Um, if you're doing this, you're trying to work at a very high end place. If you're doing this, you have to take, um, 
an exam, like a mechanics exam before you can get in there, uh, like that shows you a basic skill. So it's not like open enrollment. So that kind of keeps their program numbers low, but it's, it's uh, quality over quantity for sure. They have people from all over the world, all 50 states there. And what's interesting is, you know, they started it really as, okay, we're going to teach people how to, you know, work on engine blocks, cylinder heads, things like that. Those are their main programs. But they've also added things like um, how to use CNC machine tools, which are like the stuff that Haas makes. And that can apply to a whole bunch of places, like even Boeing and, you know, places like that where, where it has nothing to do with racing. So you're really learning a lot of different skills at the school. And uh, anyway, I don't want to go on and on and waste all my awesome material that I feel like I got from going there in one episode. But if you're interested in learning more about Samtech, go to samtech.edu. So anyway, as soon as I publish this, it will be back to packing. I um, got a lot of that to do. And uh, you can look forward to the 12 questions this week being with Jamie McMurray. That was a fun one. And then uh, the social spotlight is with the man behind the Wood Brothers Racing account, which, did you know, is John Wood. Yes, John Wood. I talked to him for a while. That was really cool. I, I really like the Wood Brothers Racing account. It's so honest and blunt and funny. And uh, I, I think they're doing a fantastic job. I was sort of a, a late follower, I guess, but I've, I've in the last few months really gotten into it. So uh, I think they do a fantastic job, one of the best of all the teams, and we got to talk about that. I will be driving to Indianapolis Tuesday, Indianapolis 500 Media Days Thursday, and I'm hoping, hoping, I don't know, if I can uh, get a 12 Questions in Social Spotlight with some IndyCar drivers. I don't know if they do that before the 500 or if they're going to have any idea um, what the hell JeffGluck.com is or... <laughs> Anything like that where they'd say, okay, yeah, we'll gladly give uh, a driver to you. So um, we'll see how that goes. So anyway, if I seem a little bit uh, scatterbrained or um, not my usual self over the next few weeks here as we prepare to move uh, to Portland and drive cross country and all that stuff, uh, now you know why. I have a little bit uh, going on, more than usual perhaps, so hopefully you won't notice any change in my work level, but if you do, that's probably the reason why. So thanks everybody for your support and your patience, and I uh, look forward to talking to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Clark Podcast. <laughs>